Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. We're a week out, less than a week out from Christmas, and we're going to get festive the only way we know how by talking some sports. First up on today's show, Joe Crisali joins to talk NFL football, some NHL action, the Taylor Hall trade, and uh, yeah, about how I beat him in fantasy football. We got to break all that down, all that down, every matchup now, but we'll, we'll dive into some other stuff too with Joe Crisali and then MMA Fighting's Jose Youngs calls in to discuss UFC 245, three title fights on the horizon. Usman defends, Holloway loses his belt, Nunez is great as well. We break all that down to boxing and some wrestling as only we can. It's Jose Youngs and Joe Crisali on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, back again with my boy Joe Crisali, talking some football, some hockey. Joe, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I'm going to start with uh, your thoughts on the game, the, the the purest game of all fantasy football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think you were going to come right off the bat with it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just get it out of the way, you know, Joe and myself. Joe actually puts on a tremendous fantasy league. You're trying to fire me league. up. You're trying to fire me up. You're a great commissioner. We'll start there. You run a top-shelf league, and uh, I had the pleasure of playing and defeating you this week in it. Uh, pretty, <laughs> it was, uh, the pleasure is all mine, but uh, it was pretty funny to see the ups and downs of, of our fantasy matchup. We started with you know, my boy Lamar Jackson just going crazy. But, Wait, we need to preface all of this. Yeah, with, go ahead. Go ahead. We, yeah, so beginning of the season, you were going to trade me Lamar for Landry. You <laughs> I would, took Lamar, I, I I would have probably done that trade. I took Lamar Jackson as my second quarterback on my roster. I already had Wentz, who's I played exactly one I game this year. I was, yeah. sitting, I was sitting in the draft waiting for Lamar, and I, you had like two picks or so before me. And you, Because I checked everyone's quarterbacks, and I was like, no one needs quarterbacks. I can wait to grab Lamar. So then you picked him, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, he's got a quarterback. So then I ended up with Dak, who... Wasn't that much worse than Lamar? That's but he the wasn't thing Lamar. that that didn't screw your season because you got Dak Prescott, who has had some bad games, which Lamar hasn't. I mean, Lamar's looking like the MVP, obviously at this point. But Dak's been a top five fantasy quarterback numbers wise, and uh, that hasn't really killed your season. I took Lamar because he fell so far. I remember looking at it when you have the choice of some third receiver. You know, do I want to? <laughs> it's like, who do I really? Do, who do I really want to take at that point? Like Dee Westbrook or or freaking uh, Lamar Jackson? So I was like, I'll, I'll roll with Lamar. It worked out, uh, and yes, I probably would have traded you, you for Landry. And you, you, you would not have offered it to me. And you and you kept Lamar on the bench. You were just benching him the first couple weeks. Yeah, and I wanted him to prove something. The, <laughs> the first week of the season, what, they played the. Who they play? The Dolphins? I can't even remember. Yeah, that was, was bad. Like I benched Lamar that week. I played him the next week, and he didn't do much. And then I benched him week three, and he lit it up again. And then it was like week four on. So, yeah, I benched him twice, and it really cost me victories. But I uh, didn't this <laughs> week. Uh, no, I have to give you props, though. I know we're boring everyone with fantasy football talk. But, you know, I was uh, I thought I had it comfortable. And then you had this, You had the uh, the backfield duo of Saquon and, uh, and uh, Sanders just go ballistic. <laughs> I had the... <laughs> I had the Penn State backfield. That was in in real time. In real time, those two guys went absolutely insane, combining for the PPR like what, like eighty points? I think no, it was like sixty eight or sixty nine. Still, it combined. was insane. I mean, it was 
it was nuts. You put up a lot of points, weren't able to win. I know you're in a lot of fantasy leagues. And yeah, you were, I'm well, texting. <laughs> I'm texting you. I'm texting you after that Lamar game on Thursday, and I'm just like, yeah, that's going to be tough to come back from. And then Saquon, who has been nothing all year, mm-hmm. just blows up finally, and so does Sanders. And you were freaking out. I could tell you were freaking out. <laughs> yeah, by the time the late, like, oh by the God. time the late game started, it was about a coin flip. You know, that's the that's the craziest thing is you made up all that ground by the start of the late games, but uh, it just wasn't going to happen. You had big games from everybody. Godwin had a good game. Carson Adams had a good game. Mixon had a good game. Carson had a, like your top, the top entire part of your. It was literally down to your tight end and your flex and your defense of what was going to happen, and you beat me with that. Yeah, I got to thank Duck Hodges for throwing all four of those picks to the Bills' defense. Uh, really couldn't have done it without him. But yeah, if it uh, you know if it makes you feel any better, uh, the Browns are a disaster. So at least I have fantasy football this year. Yeah, we talked about this. Freddie Kitchens got to go. We, well, I wanna, you said it. I remember. Yeah, we'll start previous, with that. I I, I want to start with that for the real football talk because we'll get to the top teams. But I've been ranting on here for a while. And the Browns lost to the Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, who lost, I think, the last six games they played, or at least five or six of them, uh, getting their first win in a while. And uh, they are terrible, the Browns are. They're dysfunctional on offense. <laughs> the defense couldn't stop anybody. I know they've been 1-15, 0-16, but they have ten times as much talent as those teams. And you have a guy in Freddie Kitchens that has lost complete control of the roster. you got multiple players saying, come get me to the other team, to the freaking Arizona Cardinals of all people. The Cardinals, yeah. Come get me, Cardinals. You guys have four wins or whatever, three wins. I know you're on the outside. You see what Freddie Kitchens is doing, and it's just losing control. He's supposed to be – He's he was given the job too, Joe, because of what was his relationship with Baker Mayfield, how he brought the best out of him. Baker's gotten substantially worse this year. So what what's going on? That's my yeah, question. Substantially worse. There's really nothing else to point at for me other than the coach. The talent is there. They've had little stretches where they do the things that they're good at, like running the football with Nick Chubb, who leads the NFL in rushing. Like, and they still don't give him the ball enough. And they still don't give no, him the ball. No, that's what I'm saying. They have little spurts where they would do the right things, and then it just would go back to like that game against the Rams, for example, yeah. on that Sunday night game. Uh-huh. Like, what were they doing? Just throw the ball to Odell in the end zone. Throw it up in the end. The goal line they, against the Seahawks. They, yeah, the goal line against the Seahawks and the Bills. Same thing. And they make them come off as they're mediocre, and they're not. I want to point out a couple of things in addition to Freddie Kitchens being a complete disaster and utter failure as a head coach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> defensively, this was the worst game they played all season. The uh, the, Wilk, the Wilkes defense was terrible. They couldn't tackle anyone. I know they're missing Miles Garrett, but the effort, especially in the secondary and and stopping Kenyon Drake's four-touchdown game was atrocious. Drake getting his first win of the season randomly since he hadn't won a game with the Dolphins or the Cardinals since coming over. And look, Odell, Beck- Odell Beckham, I know, you're frustrated. I get it. But it goes both ways because he has some pretty big drops consistently now in these games. One in particular in this game that was pretty bad too. So, um, Well, I mean, if you think about it, though, if you're mentally not there with the coach, it's already week 16 now, so... If you're already mentally you don't care and you're already over the coach, you're already over everything that's going on, you're going to drop some passes. I get that. Yeah, I get the frustration level. And I do think, you know, the guy who's the guy who's skating by under the radar and should be thanking God about all that is Baker because he's been mediocre at best for this year. 
And I don't know what it is if he's not, you know, he's not running like he did a little bit, not asking him to be Lamar Jackson, but he's not using his feet at all. He looks shook out there. And I think the only way to know about all these questions we have, it all comes back to the coach because there's no guarantee, Joe. I'm, I'm a realist. You fire Kitchens, you get in a competent coach. It might expose some of these players. But that needs to happen. You need to find out what a real coach can get out of this roster. It's clearly more that we're seeing right now. They need. I I think everything is there for them. They just need a leader. Like and like we talked about um, earlier today, Ron Rivera. You said mm-hmm. would be the savior. Yeah. He'd be a great coach for them. What that guy did for the Panthers, like those players, that they love him. Like they loved him. He taught. He said that like his biggest thing was teaching his players how to be men and not just football players and like do all these other things outside of um, the organization. And I was reading something where he brought his wife and his daughter around all the time because he wanted to show um, the team how to be accountable and be a father and all these kinds of things that like, you know, just having that type of mentality and that type of person in that, in that uh, locker room could really help them. But who knows what, what they do. And where they go? Because you think they even let Kitchens go at this point? Because I feel like I don't they think they will, and that's what's frightening. I think they're going to give him one more year, which is terrible. Um, you know, and and this whole thing with the offense. I mean, Todd Munkin they brought in. I don't. It, it's it, it's not working. Whatever the setup is, Kitchens is play calling the addition of Munkin and his offensive schemes. It's just not working. So uh, I think they're going to give him one more year. Unfortunately, and uh, it's going to be brutal. So it's going to be tough. The sad thing is the AFC that is that, that second wild card spot is so down this year. Like this is a year where nine and seven could get you into the playoffs and the Browns aren't even gonna get that, you know. So be that as it's it may. Tough. Yeah. We gotta <laughs> I, I gotta it's stop tough, talking dude. about the Browns before I start <laughs> freaking out. But on the positive side in the AFC and a negative again for the Browns because they play them next week. But Lamar Jackson, another dominant performance against the Jets. Uh, 12 and two on the season. One more win, and they should lock up everything in the AFC. It'll come against the Browns. Spoiler alert there. But what this <laughs> offense is doing, what Lamar is doing, and the continued approach to the game is pretty fascinating. I'm just interested to see what Lamar is going to look like in the playoffs again. I think we're just buying time to that, Joe, because they've looked unstoppable. But we know it's going to get tough come playoff time. So props to Lamar Jackson. But I think this team's big thing right now is just don't get bored before the playoffs. Yeah, the Ravens are unreal with Lamar. You're going to be watching that game getting beat down as the Ravens clinch on you. And you're going to be like, wow, where was the Browns team that played the Ravens on the road when you guys got that win? Yeah, Do you remember biggest that biggest anomaly of the season. Could not believe that at that it happened. Um, I just hope, I mean, for the Ravens, I know Chubb Hart, three, I know Chubb was unstoppable. Defense made plays. Uh, the Ravens are, are at the top of the food chain, deservedly so, and they got the right coach in there to keep them grounded because I'm not ready to write off the other teams yet. We can talk about the Pats in a second, uh, Joe, but the Chiefs are kind of working, and I think this is actually a good spot for Kansas City to be in where they've had adversity. Mahomes was banged up. They're, they're not invincible, if that makes sense. I feel like them having yeah. to you know, play some tough games and, and maybe not even get home field might be a good thing for this team come playoffs because they've already beaten the Ravens once. They're very – yeah, they're coming very under the radar. They just picked up T-Sizzle. Oh, yeah. I think – yeah, nobody's really talking about the Chiefs. Like, we we were talking about them to start the season. Everybody is saying Chiefs, Super Bowl, Chiefs, Super Bowl, Chiefs, Super Bowl. But now 
like you said, with the injury to Mahomes, and they kind of been flying under the radar. I bet you couldn't even say who. I bet people couldn't even name who the starting quarterback was without him. Maybe it was Matt Moore, and he played pretty well. He did, but nobody cared. Nobody cared to watch that, and I feel like after that um, little stretch there, nobody really was talking about the Chiefs. Everybody, because at that time the Raiders started kicking it on. Everybody was thinking, "Oh, are the Raiders for real? Are the Raiders gonna finally make the playoffs? Look at them, they're rolling." I mean, look at them now. <laughs> they're they're the Raiders. <laughs> they Their are fans the Raiders. Are throwing, they're throwing trash on their field because they don't want them to leave. But the Chiefs could be that sneaky, dangerous team. They have the offense. They have the, they. It's just I, I'm not totally sold on that defense of theirs. They can get gashed at times, and they've been getting gashed all year long. I don't think adding one player like Terrell Suggs, who was cut from the Cardinals, is going to be like that favorite type player for him. Maybe he could be similar to what the Patriots had when they got Rodney uh-huh. Harrison. But I just, I, I just think I'm the Chiefs not, can, exactly sure, sure you know, I just think they can put up points, and I feel like the approach they're going to have, and that'd be a great playoff game to watch, is they're just going to say oh, we're going to out, we're going to out. If that's the AFC title game, I mean, it's like we're just going to try to outscore you, and uh, I do think it can. Yeah, be what's done. the over under on that game? Like eighty? Well, 90? it can't be eighty, but it'll be in the six. It'll be in the high sixties. You can't, you can't put the line at eighty. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> Uh, I know, now, I was exaggerating. I but, was it's, exaggerating. but it's funny because, the you know, Joe, the Pats are the one team with a defense that you think can, can slow these guys down. And I don't want to be the, the boy that cried wolf here. I've been the slowest to call the dynasty dead. You never want to count out Brady and Belichick. But I just don't see it on the offensive side this year. I mean, let me put it this way. They're going to have to win games like 17-13 to 13 in the playoffs. And I just don't know that they can – Ask that of their defense. The, the thing is, they've been asking it of their defense all year long, and they're. And we've seen what first. happens when they play the good teams, though. I mean, that's the thing is, I, I I think part of it, Joe, is that when they when they lose to you know Miami at the end of the year or the or like a Jets team when they're sitting their starters or some funky game, we write it off as okay, they weren't focused. Belichick will get them ready. You know, it happens. But they, the three toughest games they played this year, the three toughest teams on their schedule, Texans, Ravens, and Chiefs, they lost. And they lost two of those games going away. So, I don't know. I mean, this this definitely feels different. It feels like a Patriots team that doesn't quite have the horses like they did probably 20, you know, 2010, 2011 in that run there. So, everything you said is correct. <laughs> everything you said is right. The Patriots don't look that good on offense. The others, when they, got, when they played the Ravens and they played the Chiefs and they played the Texans, they got beat down. But here's the thing is, like, one, they're the Patriots, and two, mm-hmm. nobody can figure out Lamar Jackson. Nobody can figure out Patrick Mahomes. Belichick has already seen him once. So yeah. if he sees him again, I feel like he'll know how to better prepare to take the things away from him that he's good at and make them beat him a certain way. Sure, like, if you watch Lamar play the Jets, he torches him for five touchdowns. But I don't see him throwing five touchdowns against the Patriots in the playoffs right. in a big game like that. Right, Belichick and, is no, you're the best right. coach in NFL history, and he—I feel like there's—he's he, seen—he's seen Lamar once. He watches the film all since that point. I bet you he's just been grinding out how to, how he's gonna have his defense attack him that way. And they got Stephon Gilmore, who is just unreal. Well, he's the defensive corner. player. Definitely he's the defensive right player of the year. I mean, he is Stephon Gilmore. You make good points. My counter to that would be in the past, these last couple of years. Having home field at Foxborough is huge. 
the Patriots pretty much have to win out. I mean, they're, they're not even a lock yet to win the division. We think that'll pretty much happen. But they're looking like a two-seed if they win out. You know, either way, they're going to have to play, you know, uh, 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 the Ravens on the road. But more importantly than that, Joe, they'd have to play Chiefs and Ravens in their two playoff games. I think that's the toughest run that this Patriots team would have to go on to get to the Super Bowl that they've had in recent years. And that's partly because the AFC finally has some legit contenders. And no knock on the Patriots. They've been the dynasty. They've been the standard. But, you know, they haven't had to play back-to-back tough playoff games in a lot of years. So, just to get to the Super Bowl. No, that's true. But if you're going to win the Super Bowl, you got to beat good teams, right? Yeah, and I mean, because they've had, like you know... Said, like you said yeah. earlier, they haven't beaten the good teams yet. But they've seen them, so now they know how to beat them. That's all I'm saying. They're a tough out, but I don't know that we can expect them to beat all these, you know, beat Ravens Chiefs back to back to get back to the Super Bowl. That's a little tough. Uh, Joker Sally, Money Mitch effect. It almost, yeah. It almost feels like it. I mean, I hate to say this, but it almost feels like it that it's Lamar's year, like it's destiny for him to win. You know. It does, but I, I'm not counting out Mahomes, man. I mean, he won the MVP last year. I know we're narrative based. Uh, I would just say that it seems like Lamar's year. But let's see him. Let's see him do it in the playoffs, you know, because that Charger game last year was pretty ugly. So, just want to see it. Uh, oh, yeah. Just want to see it in the playoffs. Uh, Money, Mitch, effect, Joker, Sally. Uh, quick thoughts before we switch conferences. How do you see the seating shaking out with two weeks to go? Bills are in the playoffs. Probably going to get that second wild or that first wild card, unless you're feeling froggy and think they're going to win the division. But who gets that yeah. second? Who gets that second wild card? Because somebody has to take it. Yeah, I don't. Who wants it? I don't even know who wants it. <laughs> Nobody's trying to get it. I think Tennessee gets it. They're still in, they're still in the running for the division too. So I'm 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 agreeing with you there. I think some combination of Texans and Titans will both be in the playoffs. I think yeah. I think the Texans. The second, I think it's fourth and sixth seed. So one of them will be four. One of them will be six. Well, here's the worst part. I think think we're going to be seeing two teams in the AFC South. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Titans have some tough games. They go Saints-Texans back-to-back. Joe, the problem is the Ravens, they destroy the Browns like they probably will. Lamar doesn't play Week 17 against the Steelers. So they could help them get in if RG3 plays. And then, of course, I'm going to be bashing my head against the wall as the Steelers get into the playoffs. Yeah, with with Doug Hodges. <laughs> and then who would they get? They'd get the Chiefs, and then they get absolutely slaughtered by in Kansas City with Doug Hodges out there. I don't know. Do you think they actually would bench Lamar in that game? They're not going to play him. I think that's the report, is that if they wrap everything up, Lamar does not see Week 17, and that would mean a win. And that, yeah, I mean, a win essentially does it. They beat the Browns. They can't be caught by any of the other teams. You know, they still have to play because the Chiefs, if they win out and the Ravens lose two, they'll pass them. But, yeah, one win and the Ravens have the one seed. So, then he's sitting. Oh, I didn't realize you were, I didn't realize you were still holding out hope that the Browns were going to make playoffs. <laughs> yeah, no. Mathematically <laughs> alive along with the Raiders. It's pretty crazy. Uh, NFC, though, Joe, some, some new developments there I want to talk about. Uh, we have four 11-3 teams in three divisions, not counting the NFC East. But I don't know how this is going to shape up. The Niners lose to the Falcons. The Seahawks are in that one seed. I'm just going to come out and say this right now. I don't really believe in the Packers. (laughs) 
I want, it's not what I was expecting you to say, but okay. <laughs> of all the teams, so, of all the four teams, like I'm not sure they, about the other ones, but they're the one team I'm like kind of out on. So I did, I actually did the you know, playoff simulator where you pick all the wins to see what happens. The Packers have the easiest road to be the two seed. So really what's going to happen is um, the Saints are probably going to win out, right? So the Seahawks, the Seahawks game against the Niners in Week 17 is going to be the deciding factor of like everything. Oh man! So if the Seahawks beat the Niners, the Seahawks get the first overall. See, this is this is if they win. Both teams win all their games throughout. Yeah, the winner of that game gets the one seed essentially. Basically, yeah, winner of that game gets the one seed. The Packers would get the two seed. This the Saints. Would be at thirteen three. and three. The Saints could be the three seed. That thir- and at twelve and four, we could have uh, we could have the Seahawks <laughs> yeah. Niners loser going into Dallas or Philly. Wow. Yeah. It's gonna be. This is why I, every time something like like this happens, where the you know a team can get in eight and eight, it's just absurd. Like there's especially in a league when four or five of the or yeah four or five of the teams are have like 13 wins it's ridiculous well yeah and here's all i'll say um if the cowboys i think we i think we pretty much agree on this i haven't asked you do you think the cowboys are a better overall team than the eagles right now i think the answer is yes yeah the eagles are garbage they have the they have the worst they have no receivers (laughs) Wentz is just throwing to dudes from like the movie invincible open tryouts on the street coming in to try to play that's what they need to do. That guy, that Arkega Whiteside guy, is their best receiver, and he doesn't know what the hell is going on. I bet if you had an open tryout, you could have guys better than Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins out there. Probably, probably. And and the University of Houston quarterback Greg Ward. <laughs> I know, that's really insane. Uh, I would put. I would also say the secondary is pretty bad, but it all comes down to Eagles Cowboys, and the Cowboys have proven that they can choke in big games, so it's not a lock. But but I bring that up because the Cowboys make the playoffs. And the Vikings are, are are in because the Rams just went bye bye uh, bad. They need to they need to win out. And the Vikings need to lose out. But if we get Vikings Cowboys and and whatever it shapes out, this is the most fun playoff picture for one conference I can remember in a long time. Because you have six teams in there. Even the Cowboys are frisky and kind of crazy, where it will be very hard to predict what happens. I think it's a crapshoot if that's the six teams. I think this is the most parity we've had in a few years. So yeah, and I totally agree there. It's gonna be awesome, just because you don't know. Like, what are the lines are gonna be minus one, plus two? They're they're all gonna be straight pick 'em games because every team that's gonna be in there, except for, do you think the Cowboys would even be? Say the Cowboys get in right and they play, mm-hmm. whatever the sixties. They play Seattle you think or San Francisco. Think they'll leave? Yeah, yeah. Seattle or San Francisco? They they're screwed. <laughs> the Cowboys are screwed. Whoever gets in from the East. Is getting blown out in that first. I'm, game. I'm not fully convinced they get blown out. I think they're going to lose, but I don't know. I mean, that game's in Dallas, which I don't necessarily agree with that system, but that's what it'll be. And Joe, I mean, I like the Saints a lot. I think they're a team that can make a run, but if they're the three and they have to go to Lambeau, I don't like that. <laughs> so then it's like, okay, I don't really like that team going into cold weather to play, but you know, that's why the seating is so fascinating uh, to see what happens. New Orleans quickly on them. Monday night football, Drew Brees sets the record. You know, passes both Manning and Brady. Don't see Brady ever catching that record. But what a day for him. And it's kind of crazy to think that Brees is still just chugging along 
throwing touchdowns now over 540 on the career. Yeah, the guy's been Iron Man ever since. Ever since that first injury of his, he's just been freaking Iron Man. And I didn't watch a ton of the game last night because I needed Will Lutz to get less than eight points, and he didn't. So, and I didn't want to watch it happen because <laughs> I, I lost. I lost by one point in another league, and uh, you know. But please, would you say he's top five all time? No. Uh, that's not me being mean. Top 10, yes. Top 5, no. Uh, numbers are going to continue to go up. What do you think? I'd say top 10, yeah. I, I wouldn't say top 5. I wouldn't put him ahead of, in no particular order, Brady, Elway, Montana, Manning. Mm, or I, 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 don't, I don't think I'd put him ahead of Dan Marino. No, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I and probably, and then you got to consider Favre, and you know, where does Rogers finish up? I mean, then we're getting Johnny Nice, then we're getting warmer. So yeah, he's somewhere between I think seven to ten. I'd have to really go back and consider, but uh, no, I mean, he's great. It's electric, and and again, I keep saying it. Shout out to Michael Thomas because he's the best receiver in football. I don't really think it's a debate anymore. No, he yeah, he's ridiculous. Was that two? Is it two straight seasons or four straight seasons with 125 plus catches? It's two straight for that. It's four. It's four straight with 100. He's, uh, you know, like 13. Yep. He's like 13 catches away, 14 away from passing Marvin Harrison's record for most catches in a season, uh, which he will most likely do, maybe even next week. And also, uh, Joe, he had. I think I saw the stat. It's his fourth game, most ever, where he caught, you know, 10 passes on all of his targets. 100% rate on his targets last night. I think that's the most in at least 20-plus years. Uh, just runs routes, gets open, and makes all the catches. So uh, it's incredible. Breeze only had one incompletion last night, set the long, set the uh, accuracy record for throwing the ball more than 20 times, too. It was a record-breaking night. Uh, just wish the Colts would have showed up making a game. Yeah, but you knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no, no. The Colts have went south Colts, fast. Yeah, the Colts at the beginning of the year – Andrew Luck retires, you don't know what's going to happen, and they're leading their division, and then all of a sudden, Brissett goes down for a couple weeks, and it just takes a huge nosedive from there. I wasn't expecting them to show up last night at all, but no, it's been, Breeze has been amazing, man. So I guess, I, but like, my, and I can't even say that you're biased about how good Michael Thomas is, because he went to the Ohio State University, he but he's, he's got to be, I mean, to me, he, he, he has been since he's been in the league, that I, I've always thought he's the best receiver in the league. He just, he's so good. Yeah, Constantly he, so good. He barely drops any balls. If he drops a ball, he won't drop another one. Him and, him and DeAndre Hopkins, I think, are one and two in the league. Yeah, I mean, you got to consider Julio's still up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's so good, and the Browns took uh, Corey Coleman over him. <laughs> That's who, we, that's who we drafted. That's who we yeah. drafted instead of him. Uh, actually, you know what I'm going to do now because I, I think it's worth repeating? I'm just going to read some of the receivers taken ahead of him in the 2016 draft. The Browns took the first one off the board, Corey Coleman. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Texans, Will Fuller, not <laughs> bad. Josh Dotson, Laquan Treadwell, Sterling Shepard, and then Michael Thomas. So, yeah, good Wait, job, guys. Terrible. Good job, guys. Good job, scouting departments. Real, real good work. 
Uh, so yeah, there we go. Just, I mean, like you know, that, <laughs> just like everyone that passed on Lamar, including the Ravens. So they can't say anything about how much they knew about it. They took Hayden Hurst first. I know they took one of their three tight ends and not the best one uh, <laughs> ahead of him. Yeah, and they took Andrews late. Yeah. All right, Joe, last thing. You know, I told you what I'm rooting for in the NFL season. I want a good NFC playoff picture. I want the Browns to implode. Uh, I'd like to see your boy, Missouri guy, Drew Locke, continue to show he's a good Bronco quarterback, which I think he could be maybe the one in Denver, starting to see some things. Oh, God. Oh, God. I know. I know your eyes are lighting up. You might have got a quarterback. I, I know. When <laughs> those first two games, I was like, oh, my God, is this for real? Is this really happening right now? A guy who can actually throw the ball more than 10 yards on a dart. You know, he's, the kid's fun to watch, man. I, I don't necessarily get the Buzz Lightyear stuff that they're all talking about with him because he wears the wristband. A lot of fans I was reading were complaining because they, they're like, Drew Locke should know the offense better. He doesn't need a wristband. I'm like, bro, if the guy needs to wear a wristband to make throws like that to know a fan, let the guy wear the damn wristband. But he, he looks he looks really good. I mean, the last game, the snow game against the Chiefs, I'm not going to hold him accountable for anything right. in that game. I don't know. Anyone playing in that must have been so like unbelievably miserable. And he made a couple nice plays, a couple nice throws. He made this one throw to Sutton in the back of the end zone. Sutton, who was an absolute monster of, of a receiver. Now, right. he's no Michael Thomas. but No, but he's, he's good. good. SMU guy, he's good. And um, getting him in the second. The Broncos have been making some pretty good second-round picks the last couple of years. So yeah. I came in the second, and they got Locke, and ah, Fan was first. I don't remember who they took. Who did they take before they took Drew Locke? Was it uh, Tackle? I think it was an offensive Yeah, line. they took the dude for the, the old Tackle, right? The guy who's super old. Like he was like 25 years old from like Utah or something. I think that's who they took. No, nah, Bowles was their first round pick the year before that. Oh, so who they take this year? After Fant, you mean in between Fant and the the next pick? They had one in between there. Yeah, yeah. They took the uh, Risner, the Kansas State kid. Dalton Reisner, yeah. Reisner, right. yeah. Well, I hope he works out for you. He also has the quote, the legendary quote from his combine when they said his hands are a little small, and he's like, "You know who else had small hands? Dan Marino." <laughs> so, which <laughs> hey, is which is a great into- story. A Marino type guy. I mean, I'm not comparing him to Marino right no. now because he's played three games. But to see a quarterback like him after watching Peyton Manning's career and watching Joe Flacco and whoever the hell else they decided to play, it's very refreshing. I, he doesn't. I'm not saying that he's going to be the quarterback. I'm not like praising him. I'm not. I'm not all over him. I'm just saying it's very refreshing and it's nice to see a guy who can throw the damn ball. Yeah, I wish we saw that again this year in Cleveland. But uh, props to you for maybe finding someone. And uh, we'll see what the, the, the future holds for you and the Broncos. Uh, Joe Crisali, oh. Mike <laughs> Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, we got to talk a little hockey. Um, starting with uh, a lot of, you know, we had the first big domino in the trade world. Taylor Hall traded. The Devils are going into complete rebuild mode. The team going for it, trading for a year, a rental of Taylor Hall potentially, is uh, the Arizona Coyotes. So it's weird to see the Goats at the top of the Pacific Division going for it this year. You know, we were talking about them a couple weeks ago and how we really weren't thinking that they were going to last up there because, you know, they're the Coyotes. But a, a move like this, getting a player of Taylor Hall's caliber, who a couple years ago, you know, he not even just a couple of years ago. He's been so good. 
mm-hmm. and you add him on a line with Hill Castle, like Castle has been great for the Coyotes so far this year. But if you get a guy in there like Taylor Hall, it's, I mean, that's next level for the U.S. I'm so soft, maybe, by the maybe way. Maybe they'll resign him. I, maybe they'll resign. Maybe they will. They didn't give up too much. A first and third conditional. Now you got to love NHL trades because in addition to tra- uh, retaining half of his salary, the Devils, there's tons of there's tons of stipulations on the conditional third round pick. If the Yotes resign Hall and win a playoff series, it turns into a first round pick. If one of those two things happens, it turns into a second round pick. So you gotta love uh, you gotta love the NHL trades like that. I, I wanted to pick the Oats. When we did our preview and I settled on the Canucks as my fourth playoff team or my last playoff team, I thought about the Oats, but I'm like, ah, oh, they're just not quite there. Shoulda shoulda had more guts in that in that department. But they have the talent now, and I don't think they gave up too much, even if it is a rental. And you're selling your fans on we want to win. So I, I like it. And I like the Devils just getting him out of there before it got to be, you know, crazy. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. See, and it, it'll be cool to see the Yotes. Make a make a yeah, making a go for it because we don't see them in the playoffs ever. <laughs> I went to a Yotes game last year and nobody goes to the games. So now I feel like they're getting a new bunch of fans going in there. And when was the last time we saw them in the playoffs? Were they play the Kings? They, they had the Kings uh, yeah, they made the conference road. final in 2012. I think that might have been the last yeah, time they were there. Um, but also, no. you're not recording the Blue Jacket game, are you? I. <laughs> I may have been keeping tabs on it. <laughs> so, well, you're up. Yeah. The, uh, Game the, winner. Lucky luck. Yeah. You got to love that one. No, they, they pulled it out on a little on a little uh, late night action with the Red Wings there. Uh, but, no, uh, the Desert Dogs are riding high. Some Hall and Yotes action. Desert <laughs> Some Hall and Yotes action for the Coyotes as they try to make it good. Uh, the stories this year has been a lot of topsy-turviness in the league in the NHL. A lot of coaches fired. I think it's been four or five by now. DeBurgis got fired from San Jose. Montgomery fired from Dallas under some really suspicious circumstances. And, you know, I think we could see more. Obviously, Babcock was the big name, Hines from the Devils, but I think we could see some more coaches fired, Joe. Um, and I'm looking at two jobs in particular that teams that we thought would be pretty good aren't getting the job done. Where's Tampa Bay been this year? And Nashville kind of struggling too. So Laviolette and John Cooper, I just keep an eye on their job futures. No, I, I hear you there. They're the only one that really seems to work out from the firing so far. Toronto got back in the playoffs. They were. I remember before Babcock, sag, Babcock got fired, they weren't making it up there. But no, Tampa Bay definitely underachievers when you're only one point ahead of the Rangers I think you need to reassess <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it's it, you know they had the the epic collapse and it's true I mean some people say the Blue Jackets broke Tampa Bay and I say you might be right it's what we do but I, <laughs> <laughs> you guys broke them to, so they can't be fixed at all they're screwed forever <laughs> we just poisoned them essentially we, we, we're just like a, we're just like poison don't get too close. Uh, no, they, they obviously aren't figuring it out. I know Cooper's a player's coach, but they need something to jumpstart them. Nashville's offense started out hot. They've kind of been fizzling, and uh, you'd like to see them make their push. Laviolette's been there a lot, and I just wonder at that point, you know. San Jose, I mean, you were you were kind of right on that one. They didn't – you were sour on them in, their, in our preview show. I'm worried that they might be missing their window here, Joe, because they're not getting any younger. No, definitely. I hear you there. Uh, 
Carlson hasn't been as good for them as advertised. And, I mean, it goes back to what I previewed. But, I mean, I didn't – what am I, like one for four here? So I'm not praising myself. I'm just saying I, I, I got one thing right. Let me have to – Well, San but, Jose's uh, given up 122 goals. Other than the Red Wings, who are dead last in the East, that's the worst in the NHL. So San Jose's getting the worst effort in between the pipes. Yeah. I, isn't that what we talked about, what they were going to get from Martin Jones and yes, how yeah. Eric Carlson was going to rebound from last year? And they both have gone south for that. So they're kind of screwed because, yeah. I mean, they're they're losing their, their – the window is closing for them. And they're turning into perennial chokers like the Dodgers. <laughs> you have, by my count this year, you have about five really good NHL teams, give or take a few if you want to feel froggy. But – the Capitals just built for the regular season. Oddly enough, have lost to the Blue Jackets twice in the last week, so that's kind of odd. Uh, but you got the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Bruins in the East who are just chugging along. We're always wrong on the Islanders, no surprise there. And in the West, it's basically St. Louis and Colorado right now. Uh, no disrespect to the Pacific Division, but no teams have really emerged there. Still waiting to see uh, if the Yotes, if Vegas, if Edmonton will separate. But you know that's who I see as the elite of the elite in the NHL. Now it's still early, but um, I don't really see anybody else that seems like they're a top-tier team. No, yeah, other than other than Boston, Washington, Boston, I, Washington, and St. Louis. But how crazy is it? Looking at the Pacific Division, who's in the playoffs right now? The top two teams are the Yotes and the Oilers. What era is this? Well, we should just if we ever think a division's light again, Joe, we gotta have rules like when we make our picks. Like when we think a division might be, you know, weaker or unknown or unclear at the top, I think the general rule in the hockey pick manifesto should be pick the team with Connor McDavid on it. Just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the hockey making hockey picks for idiots. Like why are we Don't know what to not... do don't know what to do? Pick Connor McDavid's team. <laughs> Bet on McDavid, that's it. I mean, Dreisaitl, I think we have to start to put him in a different class. I know a lot of people were going into the year thinking, okay, well, he plays with McDavid. Um, that being said, I know it's easier to play with a guy like Connor McDavid, but it's not all that. Like, he's a legit stud. You know, and you watch some of these highlights. McDavid isn't exactly putting everything on the tee for him. Dreisaitl's turning into a top 10 player in the NHL. Yeah, do you think that he can thank? McDavid for that, but I feel like Dreisaitl's had some pretty good seasons. Last year, I think it was 40. his sort of 40. Or I think it was two years ago, he had, or last year he had 40. I mean, he's they're top two in the league in scoring, so it's like McDavid he 59. Had, yeah, last year was his coming out party. He had 50 goals and 55 assists. Oh, God. And his previous high was 29. Yeah. He's a beast, if, man. They got those two they got those too quick and like that, they're going to be tough to beat. Well, it's interesting because they don't need to be elite defensively. They just need to have something on the back end and in goal, and I think they've gotten that. Uh, it seemed like the Yotes to bring it full circle. They actually are really good defensively. So they're not, they might not. We'll see what the Hall edition does offensively, but they're not the flashiest team. They win a lot of low-scoring games, and they play a, a pretty big team game. So uh, that division race is going to be fun to watch, uh, as, as we should see, Joe. Just some quick thoughts on our teams before we wrap this up. The Rangers um, are doing about what I expected them to do. You know, they're what six points out of the out of the, out of the or only three points out of the wild card right now, but they might be overachieving yeah, a little bit. Five. I don't I don't know if it's going to stay 
But you know they're they're solid. This is about what I thought they'd be on the cusp. Probably not going to make the playoffs this year. Um, it's more than I <laughs> can say good, about the Blue Jackets. <laughs> the Blue they're Jackets. Okay, but they're not no. quite there. Columbus is up to thirty-two points now. Uh, so we'll see. They got to fight, but their offense just isn't really getting the job done against top teams. But yeah, I think you should be a little optimistic about the Rangers going forward. No, I'm definitely optimistic about them. I mean, they make some. They look really good, and then they look really bad. They make some really nice plays, and then they make some really stupid plays. Um, Kako getting demoted to the fourth line is not a great sign. Mm-mm. I I do like though how they he changes the lineup. He brings uh, Kravtsov back up. He sends them back down. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not great players. He's just getting them a little bit of experience here, a little bit of experience there until they're ready to take on, you know, the, the big the big city in MSG. But um, Henrik is not looking too good. But no. Georgiev looks pretty good, nice and spry. Um, Henrik, man, I mean, we love the guy, but I don't know how much longer they can keep him in there. He's not He's not playing so well. The thing is, though, the Rangers, like, their their top guys, first of all, Panarin came to advertise. The guy has not stopped scoring since he put on the Rangers uniform. Zibanejad, they missed him for a little bit. Uh, but he came back. He's been playing really well. And their power play unit is just unstoppable. I mean, last, last night, the game against the Predators, their power play unit was getting pucks on that, tiring out the defense, and then they got too tired, and the Predators scored on the breakaway because the dude came out of the penalty box. But that's neither here nor there. They, I, I, It's been up and down so far, but I think this is pretty much mostly what we expected from them come to this point, that they were going to be right there but not, not passing the torch just yet. Well, it's better. There's some room to be optimistic. Yeah, there's going to be growing pains, and we'll see how Kako you know, learns from or works on his game to get off the fourth line, but remains to be seen. Uh, last question, Joe. Last hockey question. Now that we've got Taylor Hall traded, are there going to be any more big names you see that might get dealt? Any rumors that you're looking out for? Ooh. I I don't know who's who's trading who. I, don't, I think there could be some minor little ones, like players like Duclair. Maybe he gets traded again for the 300th time. He's playing well. So, he could, but there's those teams that are sort of on the cusp that you think, are they going to try to add or are they going to start to drop off a little bit? Like, you know Nashville's going to keep going for it. Minnesota has been really good and they've been really bad. They had Zuccarello gone for a little bit. They have some creative pieces. San Jose, do you think they call it quits and they trade away some guys? Well, the name who, would be, I guess, knows? Evander Kane would be one that might be out there if they're if they're going south. Um, here, here's one I'll throw at you that I think is likely to get dealt. If I would say, here's the biggest name I can think of off the top of my head that is more likely than not to not be playing on his current team, that's Tyler Toffoli. Oh, yeah. That's the guy. That I would, team's going nowhere. It's going nowhere. He's a, he's it's, going, it's going nowhere, Happy, and it's taking us with him, so. Uh, they are they are not good, um, and I just think they're going to go full rebuild. They have to. They have to get younger. Toffoli is streaky. I I think he's proven, Joe, and it's it's not a knock on him, but I think he's proven that he's like not the elite goal scorer. He's not a first first line guy in a championship team, 
but you put him on a good team on the second line, and that's huge. That could be a, a playoff swinging acquisition. So I think he's the guy that gets yeah. dealt. Yeah, I don't think, I think this year's trade deadline is going to be as interesting as last year's. You say that, but <laughs> you say that, it happens. You know, it, Taylor it, Hall, I mean, Taylor Hall, I think, would be the most game-changing piece that could be traded. Yeah. Because you put him up above. He was an MVP candidate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You put him up above. Alexander Kane would be another couple tiers lower than Taylor Hall. He's, right. he's, he's a great player, but he's not necessarily a game-changer like Taylor Hall is. So wow. I think the biggest trade that we'll see is happened already. Well, Joe. But you never know. There could be, like, the Flyers could fall out, which would be amazing. Maybe they, they try to move. <laughs> which would be uh, amazing. Ghost Ghost Bear, whatever. Ghost Bear, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Ghost Bear gets dealt. Wow. Well, Joe, we've covered a lot. This was fun. Uh, had to get that last di- dig at the Flyers in there. Really appreciate that. Uh, but <laughs> thanks again for coming on the show. And no hard feelings uh, about beating you in fantasy. It just had to be done. So, uh, <laughs> just had, just had. Thanks to again. Destroy your your life two years in a row. <laughs> thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me, man. All right, huge thanks to Joe Crisali. All in fun, all in good-natured fun. I got to bring up fantasy football anytime I can get some bragging rights there. Uh, But no, some big news in the hockey world. His Rangers still fighting. My Blue Jackets trying to continue on. And Hall already paying dividends by getting the game-winning assist in his first game as a yoke. So there we go. Uh, Now we're going to talk some UFC with MMA Fighting's Jose Young's. 245 was a great card. What's next for the future of uh, a lot of these fighters? Some matchmaking into 2020. Conor McGregor's coming back, too, as well. we got to talk about that. Some boxing talk as well. And then I let Jose kind of preview everybody on New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom, which is only a few short weeks away from MMA fighting. It's Jose Young's now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back again to talk UFC boxing and some other news and notes in the pro sports and combat world in general jose youngs from mma fighting jose thanks for coming on the money mitch effect anytime man i'm i always know if there's a big card before or after i'm probably gonna get a call for money mitch so i'm always glad to be on this is the sweet spot we got december fights you know we got boxing we got wrestling heating up we got obviously mma and ufc but jose 245 you were there at the t-mobile arena had three three title fights on the line we saw one of those belts change hands. Maybe not the one people were expecting, but I'm looking at this card top to bottom. It had a lot of hype going into it, obviously with the hardware on the line, but I really do think it lived up to him. This was a fascinating night, a fun night from the prelims on. What did you think top to bottom about this card? Oh, top to bottom, I had everything you'd want. I had prospects winning. I had the old card uh, coming out of nowhere and putting on great performances. Two title fights, like you said, so... Uh, now that the UFC and ESPN are, are partners, uh, given the fact that ESPN airs a lot of the bowl games around New Year's Eve, uh, I think fans can expect a lot of these earlier December cards. And as a journalist, I like it because they don't have to be on the road for the holidays. In terms of this card, this is what the UFC needed for to close off its its final pay per view, uh, not just of the year but of the decade. 
Yeah, hard to believe a decade is uh, in in the rear view now with uh, the big pay-per-views in the UFC, but it was it was a good show. And I mean, you can always judge a card on how the main fights do in terms of a draw, but if you look at the the undercard and even the early main card fights, I mean, this did have everything and it had Something else that I think is vital for any sport to really succeed long-term, and that's emerging stars, because I want to start with uh, Peter Jan. Jose, this dude's a monster. Like, there, there's yeah. just no other way to say it. Faber, we know, is an aging fighter, and I don't think many people expected him to win this fight, but Jan just bulldozed him. It was, at times, tough to watch. This is a guy who wants Cejudo, and he wants him bad at that Bantamweight division title, but uh, this guy's next up, because I don't see many flaws in his fight game. Yeah, he's 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 the real deal. My co-host Pete Carroll on uh, our show, the A Side over here at MMA Fighting, has been singing Peter Yan's praise for years. He said, uh, "Not only will Peter Yan beat Uriah Faber, but Uriah Faber will probably retire again after fighting Peter Yan." Uh, so I've been, I've been, I, he's been earmarked for a while. Uh, he's even his only loss. It was it wasn't like he got beat down. It was it was, it was a weird loss, and it was so long ago uh, that I really do consider him an undefeated fighter. He's Russian. Uh, same as Habib. Uh, now that the, the R- Russia has that uh, WADA uh, ban from the Olympics for the, the World Anti-Doping Agency, the, the, the country of Russia is ba- banned from the Olympics and the World yeah. Cup. And uh, as you know, uh, Russia really takes pride in their national sports. And now that they don't have that anymore, I really do think uh, MMA champions and fighters like Habib, Peter Jan, Fedor, obviously, but he's a He's been a he's been a big deal, but uh, I think Russian fighters are really going to take the place of a lot of the Olympic superstars now that they can uh, participate in the 2020 games. Yeah, Jan's a beast, man. I mean, he hits hard. He can grapple. It, there there isn't much that he can't do out there. I, I just want to ask you before we get to some of the other matches on this card, Jose. What's going to be next for Cejudo? Because he's got some belts. We've always wondered what the flyweight, the future of the flyweight division was going to be in the UFC. Is he going to fight Jan? Soon in 2020, is that probably is that, not? No, which is probably not, I, I doubt it. it uh, it's most because Henry Cejudo, we had an interview with him on our site where he said, I'm not in this fight, fight game for championships or anything, I'm here, I'm here to make money. Mm. Uh, and I don't blame him, uh, it's, it's a brutal sport. Uh, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish he, he would have, I wish he was an active champion, but he's coming off, I think, shoulder elbow surgery. He wants to fight Jose Aldo, which doesn't make any sense to me considering yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it, Jose Aldo. Yeah. Lost by, uh, to Marlon Moraes in a fight. A lot of people scored for Jose Aldo. It was pretty 50-50 in the, in the media room. Uh, but Henry Cejudo says, I, I think Jose Aldo won. I'm going to treat him like he won. So I want to fight Jose Aldo next, so, which is disappointing for the integrity of the sport. But I don't blame him for trying to make as much money as possible. Yeah, I don't blame him either. But I just really want to see, like I'm sure you do, the Jan Cejudo fight. I just think it, yeah. it's just a great matchup. Uh, you mentioned Aldo because the Aldo... Mariah's fight was fascinating. It was a contrast in styles in a lot of ways. Uh, I thought Aldo won. We've had these debates before. This is not, I think we can clearly agree, robbery. Uh, it was a close fight. It was hard to score. I thought Aldo did just enough to win. But when you have these three-round fights, Jose, you know, I mean, one round's tough to score. We saw it in the main card where it was really yeah. tough to score, the, the the main event welterweight fight. It's not what I would say robbery. You just, you just don't want to put it in the judge's hands. I did think Aldo won a slight slightly contest or tightly contested matchup yeah and i'll say i've been saying over and over and over for years uh close fights aren't always robberies mm-hmm. uh it was like, like you, you you hit it on the head like it was so close that whoever lost was going to be whoever lost was going to be disappointed if, 
if Jose Aldo had ended up getting that one judge's scorecard and it was a split decision for him, I'm sure people would be upset that because they scored for Marlon. So it was very close. It was razor thin. Uh, I would, I would, I would prefer Jose Aldo uh, rematch Uriah Faber. Considering the last time they fought was in the WBC at featherweight, and now they're both in the UFC at bantamweight. Yeah. Uh, they're both uh, on the on the wrong side of their their peak of their careers. So, I, if I'm Jose Aldo, obviously I want to fight for the title and make as much money as possible. If he had one, it would be a no brainer because Marlon Moraes is the number one ranked bantamweight in the world. Uh, but I didn't get the matchmaking to be with because now we have the situation where Marlon wins and it does nothing for the division. Uh, it just it just keeps another contender away from Henry Cejudo. So uh, I didn't get the matchmaking to begin with, and you see exactly why I didn't like it, because now we're in this, this weird limbo where uh, we have another contender that possibly fell short before he even reached the top. Yeah, well, that's why it's not perfect. It's not, I mean, we, we love professional wrestling. You can't book these storylines in advance because it is right. a combat sport where the outcome is not predetermined. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's too close to call. I, I'm, I'm not anti-judges. I know they have a tough, tough job, and it is tough in certain in certain circumstances. This was one of them. Uh, let's go to the main card. I do want to go right to the top of it. The main event was Usman and Colby Covington for the welterweight title. Jose, I, I love this fight. I, I think these two guys are... are Obviously, A-level expert martial artists, but what we saw on Saturday, which maybe a lot of people in the outside world didn't understand, was just how tough these guys were. Both of them took shot after shot. There wasn't a lot of wrestling or, gra- or grappling at all. This was just two dudes like Roman gladiators getting in there and just beating the crap out of each other. And let's start with the winner, because Usman wins a five-round war that he may have been losing, depending on what card you look at, going into the fifth round. And he finishes Colby Covington, the guy with maybe the best stamina in all of MMA. So tip of the cap to Usman. It was the best win of his career. And he showed that he is a legit champion that uh, I think history will remember kindly. Yeah, you you touched on the scorecards a little bit. The the scorecards are actually, uh, one judge had it 3-1 Usman, one judge had it 3-1 Covington, and then the third judge had it 2-2 going into the fifth. So the winner of that fifth round would have been declared the winner of the fight. I think Usman was well on his way to winning that round. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it had lasted another 50 seconds, we would have had a unanimous decision win for, or, or a split decision win for uh, Kamara Usman. Unfortunately, uh, it, it wasn't the case. And I say unfortunately because a lot of people complained about the stoppage. Yeah, do you they think thought, that was uh, the right call? I mean, I'll, I'll ask I you. Do. Yeah. I do think it was the right call. If you really look at it, uh, when he's when he's belly down and uh, Covington is on top, he's pretty much leaking blood like a faucet. Uh, he had a broken jaw uh, or a fractured jaw, so I really do think the referee stopped it uh, at the good at, at a good moment. But when that happened, I had a sense that it would be controversial, and I think it's it's disappointing that the fact that we even have to have that conversation controversial. Uh, when if Usman had lasted 15 more seconds, it would there would have been no controversy whatsoever. So essentially, this gives Covington an out to complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he had lost the decision, it would have been fair and square. Uh, but given the fact that he, a lot of people say that it was a bad stoppage, this gives Covington an out to complain that uh, he he, uh, he was robbed of a win. Yeah, which is and, disappointing. And, yeah, and I bring it up too because I I think looking on the outside that it was the right decision, but. You hear some MMA, you see, you hear some UFC professionals say, I don't agree with the stoppage. He's defending himself yeah. by the rule book intelligently. Uh, regardless, I agree. Whoever wins the fifth round is going to win that fight split decision if it, if it finishes. Um, so, you know, can't take much away from Usman. And, and forget all the drama, all the pre-fight hype, all the nastiness. 
these are two great fighters. I think that's what we saw. And and look, even if Colby, you know, from from his perspective, he loses, he gets finished in the fifth. He had, I mean, I think they actually did, right? They did say that he had a dis, we had a displaced fracture, a broken jaw, essentially. Yeah. And he finished. He kept going a couple rounds with a really bad dude in that octagon. So I don't think a loss necessarily breaks him. It might be good to, maybe if it's even a thing, humble him a little bit. But this wasn't like Woodley getting run over by Usman for five straight rounds. This was a heck of a fight and one that I would think you got to hold your head up high in the loss. I know a loss is always tough to eat, but this was a very good fight and close for most of it. It was, and uh, I think you touched upon very little wrestling. I think that surprised a lot of people, given the fact that Covington, his last two fights against Lawler and RDA, he basically shoots for the takedown immediately. Usman uh, didn't, didn't, never really pushed the, the, the action against the fence like he did against Woodley. It was really two wrestlers just thrown down in the center of the octagon. So I think it's well to a title fight we've had in a, in a, in a very long time, uh, and a, a deserving fight of the night for sure. So let's like, Try to book this division, Jose, for 2020. Put your put your matchmaking skills to work. What do you see next for both of these guys, uh, specifically Usman in that title picture? I think it really depends on how the Conor McGregor fight goes on in, in January. I oh, think man. Uh, if Conor wins, he'll he, he'll most likely fight Jorge Masvidal, uh, and then Covington. Will, I would like to see him fight Tyron Woodley, and I would like uh, Kamar Usman to rematch Leon Edwards. Uh, for the title, Leon Edwards hasn't lost since their first fight, which is so long ago. Mm-hmm. He's he's been undefeated since, and not only has he been undefeated, he looks pretty phenomenal doing it against game competition. Covington and Woodley both coming up losses. The bad blood is there, and then Connor versus Masvidal, like the biggest money fight you can make right now in MMA. Um, that's just a fun fight in general. So, if I'm the UFC, I look to put those three fights to first. Con- if, if Connor loses, Cerrone. And then opens up the possibility of a trilogy fight with Nate mm-hmm. as the next fight, considering they're both coming off losses. So uh, I think a lot dep- depends on that uh, January card with Conor McGregor on before the UFC can book anything. I, I and I, I I figured we were going to get sidetracked with McGregor at some point. I was going to do it myself uh, a little later, but let's get into that right now. Him next. You don't think that there's a, a lot of truth to the thought of what Dana White said fighting Khabib next, getting a rematch. No, I don't. Uh, I think Khabib I won't want to fight Connor again. Uh, it's at 170, so why would he want to fight at 170, get a next title shot at 155? Exactly. After beating a guy at 170 who just engaged, he just beat. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but money talks. Uh, Habib seems to be a guy that doesn't really care about the money. He just likes the competition. Yeah. But uh, no, I don't expect Connor McGregor to fight Habib next. I expect him to fight Habib maybe at the end of 2020, but not his fight after Sterling. Yeah, Masvidal, man, I just... Call me, call me, uh, maybe a little bit of a hater at some point for McGregor, but I just don't like that fight for him. Just, just don't, just don't like it. That's it, the way. It's a fun. It's a really fun. It's a really fun fight. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would favor Masvidal for sure. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Jose Young's talking UFC 245. Uh, the other two title fights, uh, Amanda Nunez, the uh, the greatest female fighter I think by any count for us uh, in MMA history, won her title fight. Uh, Jermaine Durandamine and uh, Jose, that was uh, a little close for comfort at times. I think Amanda showed that she was who she is and who she's always been. But I give props to the challenger because Amanda's been, Nunez has been mowing through a lot of contenders. This was one, this is the first time in a while that she had to work and actually get past the first round. Not only did she have to work, Jermaine was very game off her back. I know she's a, she's a uh, high level elite kickboxer, but. She was starting with submissions. She was starting with up kicks. So, uh, Amanda Nunez won 49-44 on most of the judges' scorecards. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. 
But yeah, props to Jermaine for not only surviving that, but for being very game off her back, given the fact that she, the ground isn't necessarily her specialty. But uh, beautiful fight for the champion. She lives to I expect a 145-pound title fight should be next or will be next. But that remains to be seen if the UFC can actually find contenders for her to fight 145 pounds. So I was going to say, we're getting into that like John Jones legacy or yeah. area where she's cleaning out these divisions where who's who's the contender. So do you have any names in mind that you think might be next for her to fight? At 145, if Megan Anderson gets through her next opponent at the UFC Norfolk card, I expect her to get it. Uh, that would be two, two straight wins at 145. She's very popular. She's very marketable. She's very tall. Uh, she looks like a fighter. So if she wins her next fight, I would expect that. At 135, I would have to assume that the next one up would be Rene Aldana, who won uh, earlier on the card when she KO'd Kevin Vieta. Kevin Vieta was the number three fighter. Uh, she was coming off like a two-year hiatus from injuries. Uh, by all means, she would have already had a title shot if she was healthy, uh, but she wanted she wanted a, a fight to get back in there, not just get thrown into a title fight right away. And she got matched up with I think like number ten, Irene, and Irene knocked her unconscious. Yeah. So uh, that that will propel her to the top five of the bantamweight, which would mean she would be the only contender that Amanda Nunes hasn't fought. So if I'm a betting man, I bet if Megan Anderson wins, if you Megan Anderson, and then Amanda Nunes stays at 135, I would assume Irene O'Donnell would be the next woman. Some options, but it's hard to bet against the Lioness because she is just too good and uh, too efficient in there. And then the last fight on the UFC 245 main card, the last fight we want to talk about, is the featherweight title fight. For the first time since 2013, Jose, it was Max Holloway losing. He lost his belt to Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky now 21-1, and wins a five-round decision. And I think the first thing you got to start with is the game plan. That was as much of a perfection of an executed game plan. They studied him. They studied Holloway. They, they destroyed his leg with those kicks. Volkanovski was on his game, and I think credit has to go to his camp and his coaching and his training because that was a flawlessly executed game plan. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, Volkanovski really picked him apart with those leg kicks on his face. Uh, Max Holloway, uh, he benefits from always being ahead, like one step ahead of his opponents no matter what. Uh, but Volkanovski told me leading up to this, his fight against Max is that a lot of the fighters that Max fought didn't a- approach the fight wrong. Like, it was Frankie Edgar trying to fight Max Holloway. It was Jose Aldo trying to fight Max Holloway. It was Brian Ortega trying to fight Max Holloway. Uh, and Volkanovski said he, he, he approaches every fight as if it's a new challenge. Like, he's not bringing the same tools into every fight. So he completely... Uh, centered this folk and focuses game plan specifically for being Max Holloway, basically not working on him, what he can already do, but working on where to take advantage against Max. And it really showed uh, with those leg kicks throughout the five rounds that uh, I had it four to four, four to one uh, Volkanovski 49, 46, but uh, I don't disagree with the 50, 45s, but yeah, masterful performance from the new champion. Do you think Max is going to get that automatic rematch? And, and I just bring this up because it's not a guarantee here. Uh, he's gone up. You know, he, he moved up to fight Poirier at that lightweight division. Is another featherweight title fight in the cards for Max coming up, or do you think he kind of moves around here? I think he'll get another title. Uh, he'll get a rematch. He, he deserves one. Volkanovski and Dana White both say he deserves one. There's not really a clear-cut number one contender at 145 at the moment. Uh, but if Max wants time off to recover, he's had a lot of fights. A lot of five-round fights in the last 12 months, uh, dating back to December 2018. So if he wants to take time off, I wouldn't mind him doing the Ronda Rousey approach, not in the sense of not doing media or anything, but uh, take take a year off, take a year or two off, and then whoever the champion is, fight them first. 
So it's like it's like uh, uh, Ronda lost to Holly, and then during during Ronda's hiatus, Amanda Nunes ended up with the belt, and then now it's the person that uh, Ronda Rousey fought first on her return. So mm-hmm. if uh, Max wants time off, I would not hate it, uh, and then he just fights whoever's the champ. If it's Alexander Volkanovski, great. If it's if it's someone else like Zabit or Yaya, then they could do that. But uh, I, Max should fight. Uh, for the title in his next fight, for sure. Can you believe he's only 28 years old? Like, I keep having to say that. Like, it feels like he's been around forever, and he's not even 30. So, uh, yeah, there, there's still a lot of fighting left for Holloway, depending on where and, and when he wants it and if he wants to take time off or fight. Um, the last thing, and then that does it for the 245 UFC card, but I just want to say one more thing in the MMA world, uh, Jose. My condolences. We haven't talked since uh, Korean Zombie <laughs> and Ortega got canceled. Yeah. Edgar's nice. Edgar's the Korean Zombie will be good. I know you'll watch all of it, but I know you're a little heartbroken, so my condolences. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. Uh, I've been waiting for that fight for a long time. And you know and your listeners know I talk about that fight so much. Uh, the Frank Edgar-Korean Zombie fight is awesome. There's already booked uh, before at a UFC Denver card before Frank Edgar got hurt. So this is, if any fight's going to take its place, I like this fight, but uh, the, the grappling of, an, of the possibility of a grappling matchup between a Brian Ortega and a Korean Zombie uh, was just so fun to me, and I really hope eventually get that fight down the road. But uh, it's it's a disappointing week for sure. <laughs> disappointing. We will be watching Edgar Korean Zombie, uh, whatever time zone it is. We'll make sure we get that in. But uh, they're fighting in Korea, so that'll be a good one. But one day, one day we'll get that fight. Uh, I want to switch combat sports and talk boxing because I know we're both big boxing fans. And the boxing world had a lot, a lot of new developments as we get ready for a new decade, a new year in 2020. A lot of different title pictures taking shape. First of all, Jose, we were messaging each other during uh, during a fight that some people thought boring, but I think we agree was just an ex- excellent game plan and fight. Joshua getting his belt back against Ruiz in Saudi Arabia. I thought I thought it was just like you did, excellently executed. Joshua knew what he had to do to get that title back. He came in in the best shape of his life, and uh, he he went back, found that resiliency in this champion yet again. Yeah, I mean uh, it's a bummer that it, it ended the way it did. It, it, by bummer, I mean Ruiz's comments where he's like, "I, I should have trained harder." Mm-hmm. Like he came in like twenty pounds heavier. He came in fat. He said he, he ate too much. He partied too hard. He, he basically turned into Buster Douglas, where he knocks out Mike Tyson, uh, and then he kind of loses focus and he, he becomes an afterthought in the boxing world. Uh, I know a lot of people call Holly Holm the Buster Douglas of <laughs> MMA, uh, but I disagree with that. Considering Holly has continued to fight. Not only fight, but can fight the best in the elite of the UFC. It's not yeah. like Buster. Like Buster Douglas, I think, fought uh, Evander Holyfield in his next fight and then lost badly and then never fought again. Yeah, he was way uh, really out of shape. That, yeah, I really hope it doesn't turn like that with Ruiz. But it's disappointing to hear that it wasn't the best Andrew Ruiz in Saudi Arabia because he's an unbelievable boxer. He's, un- he's an unbelievable talent. Uh, and it's disappointing that so many fans uh, built him up and got on his bandwagon only for him to falter uh, when, the, when, 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 the mat, when it mattered most. So uh, disappointing, to say the least, for Andy Ruiz, but uh, master performance of Anthony Joshua, a deserving champion for sure. I hope we see more from Ruiz. You know, he definitely has that power, and if he can get himself in shape, there's uh, a lot of talent there. For Joshua getting the belt back, I was wondering, because, you know, he was, he was catered to, he was you know, groomed as the golden boy, had his first loss, how would he respond? And he responded brilliantly. 
I also like the fact that we're we're starting to get you know some thawing of the ice in that Cold War between him and uh, Tyson Fury. They're getting along. I don't know if they're actually going to work with each other in Fury as Fury gets ready to fight Wilder coming up. But it makes me optimistic that should Fury beat Wilder, we might actually see these two fight in Fury and Joshua. Because we're, we're just biding time, Jose. This is a great heavyweight generation. But eventually, we got to start seeing Joshua mix it up with these two dudes. Yeah, the problem is just, right, it's like, yeah, Tyson Fury is like next three or four fights have to be in the United States. and They're on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all that, and then Joshua has the DAZN deal where he fights in the UK. So, they can get through that, then they can make the fight. But uh, as boxing always is, it's never as easy as you think. Like it's obviously a no-brainer that they fight, but there's about a thousand hoops they have to jump through first. I mean, yeah, we we got to get to that point where we got to get those guys fighting uh, at some point. But uh, not the only division to look at for boxing because um, there's some other stuff as well. Recently on ESPN, there was a good fight. We had Terrence Crawford with another big win. Bud Crawford uh, getting a little older in age. But, Jose, I know you're a big fan of watching him fight, uh, knocking out his opponent in the seventh round. This is a guy that I think, uh, I don't want to say has his, uh, has his belt unlocked because I think Earl Spence is going to be coming for that welterweight title. But Crawford's 36-0, and 0, now 27 knockouts. Just an excellent boxer. Phenomenal boxer and in the prime of his career right now. You get those big fights before uh, he tails off. Not like... Triple G, where it seems like he got those big fights with Canelo past his prime, and he still looks great. But it wasn't the, it wasn't the Triple G mm-hmm. uh, that fans had accustomed to seeing and that wanted to fight Canelo. Uh, so I hope he gets the bigger fights moving forward, uh, considering he's one of uh, the few people to, to to unify multiple weight classes. I think he's one of the most talented boxers on planet Earth. Uh, it goes without saying. I don't know who he fights next. Uh, there's a lot of exciting fights, but. For those of you who don't know, obviously boxing has those stupid mandatory fights that you have to take that kind of ruin everything. Yeah, uh, it's it's boxing is infuriating for that, but <clears throat> we live in a we live in a golden age of of that uh, that 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 weight class. So it's it's just a bummer. Yeah, I mentioned Spence. It could be Pacquiao. Pacquiao's still fighting, and that could be the fight that Crawford gets next, which is crazy to think Pacquiao still got gold in uh, 2020, but continues to go on. I think he just turned 42 as well, so not really slowing down there. Uh, and then the other thing, too, I mean, you mentioned like sometimes that mandatory challengers and a lot of times can be a bad thing. It can slow everything down and be stupid, but we've always sung the praises of Lomachenko. Uh, just what he does at the lightweight division in boxing, how he has three of the four belts. But the fourth belt belongs to a new up-and-coming fighter, Tiafimo Lopez, who's undefeated, 15-0, 12 knockouts, 22 years old, put on an absolute clinic against Richard Kami, a seasoned fighter with a lot of knockouts himself. Jose Lomo was there. He was watching the fight, and they have to have that unification match in 2020. So this is the first time. I won't bet against Lomachenko ever, but this is the first real contender he's had, and I'm really excited about it. God, I hope so. Lomachenko needs a needs a rival. He needs someone that can not only match him outside the ring, but in the ring. Uh, he's by far the most talented uh, boxer I have ever seen in my entire life. The only thing missing is one of those fights that people will talk about for a long time. So, I God, I hope he finally has someone that can meet him inside the ring and, and dance with him because he is he's unparalleled in terms of talent that I've ever seen put on lace up a pair of gloves. Uh, and it's it's a, it's I don't I think fans might look back and be like wow we, we witnessed the greatest fighter we've ever seen uh, and I, I I wish more fans understood that 
uh, right now that they could they they could be watching someone on this level and they're just not. So I hope he gets that fight, and I hope he that I hope he gets that challenge that can really test him. Yeah, Bob Arum, the legendary top ranked promoter, he's the one that's got to be careful with this. Um, he he said on record that Lomachenko is uh, basically this version's Muhammad Ali. That's high praise from a guy who's been around forever. So, and I, we were talking about this off air. You know, Canelo comes in, fights Mayweather early, loses badly. It actually was a good thing for his career. I think it, you know, he didn't have to worry about preserving an undefeated record, was able to, to grow as a fighter and learn from that defeat. I'm just interested. I, I want to see this fight sooner rather than later, but they're going to have to be careful with uh, how they book this because Lomachenko is great. But I'm telling everybody out there listening, don't forget this name. Lopez is going to be a champion uh, for a long time. Yeah, and... Uh... Lopez, Lomachenko, I know I want to see Lomachenko eventually fight Tank Davis too. Uh, so Lomachenko's right now, he wants to unify the division and then do a lot of fun stuff. So uh, let him unify the division first and then he can go on to these bigger seven fights. Because uh, once, once he has that, that unified title next to his name, that's normally what fight fans or casual fans start to take notice. Uh-huh. So let him do that and then do something the big job. Well, Jose, uh, a lot of combat sports talks. Appreciate you coming on the Money Mitch Effect. I'm going to end it with uh, one thing that I know in December gets you going, and that's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because we got Wrestle oh, yeah. Kingdom coming up in a few weeks. And it's to my knowledge that they're going to do a two-night show. They've booked one of the nights, but not two of them. So what do we have on tap right now? What are some of the matches we can look forward to officially, or maybe not officially yet, but seems like they're on the verge? Well, the main event is going to be Katsushi Okada and Cody Ibushi in a fight that should mm. be bananas. Like, Cody Ibushi is, I think, one of the most gifted wrestlers I've ever seen in my life, and Katsushi Okada is the best wrestler on planet Earth. Uh, just, he can have a match with anybody and make it exciting, whether it be a high flyer like Will Ospreay or a grappler uh, like, uh, what's his name? Wow, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Jay White? In, uh, no, Zach Sabre Jr. Okay. Uh, like a heavy grappling match, uh, Jay White, or a cerebral match with Jay White, or like a fun match with Tetsuya Naito. Like, Zushio Kaka, I'm going to match with anyone. And the fact that he's wrestling one of the most talented wrestlers I've ever seen in my life, uh, Cody Bushi, who won the G1 in a, in a spectacular fashion. That main event right there is nuts. And then the co-main is Jay White and Tetsuya Naito. I mean, come on. That fight, that match rules, but what is super fascinating is like you said it's two nights so the main event that's those those are the two main and co-mains for 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 the first night now the second night is going to be the winner of the main and co-main in a title versus title match winner takes all so if okada wins and naito wins that means we could have okada naito in the main event winner takes both belts Mm. and i really hope that's the case Considering that, I don't think anyone outside of Naito should beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom because that is oh, that is Naito's story. Like he has to be the one to dethrone Okada. So I'm hoping that's the case. <clears throat> but if we get a Naito uh, versus uh, Ibushi or an Ibushi versus Jay White or an Okada versus Jay White, I don't really care. Any of those four names versus each other, I, I I'll pay so much money to watch. Uh, but I like how they're doing that. I mean, the co-main event for the second night is uh, Tanahashi versus Jericho. Jericho's Ooh, returning. The legends. Uh, from, uh, Jericho's returning from uh, his, his not from AEW to have one match against Tanahashi. That's been kind of brewing for the last two years. And then we get the loser 
of Okada Ibushi versus the loser of White Knight. So, so for all we know, we get Ibushi versus White. Uh, and then we also have uh, freaking Kenta versus Hiroki Goto on the second night. We have uh, Vance Archer versus or Lance Archer versus John Moxley in a Texas death match. IWGP US champion, which is basically just no, there's no rules. I mean, those guys are uh, nuts. No yeah, it's basically a 10 count or submission only. It's it's going to be insanity. And then the and then the loser of that, the, the, the winner of that uh, will be the U.S. champion to fight Juice Robinson in the singles match the very next night. And then we get Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata for the heavyweight championship. We got Bullet Club versus Rapunky 3K. Uh, we got the Gorillas of Destiny versus Finn Juice, which is Juice Robinson, David Finley, for the IWGP Tag Championship. So not as hype as the last few Wrestle Kingdoms, considering uh, Kenny Omega's not in it, the Bucks aren't in it. Uh, Naito's doing his thing, but isn't the man at the moment. But if all goes according to plan, in my mind, we could go. We could have one of the greatest nights of wrestling I've ever seen. Not to mention, it's Juice and Thunder Liger's last ever Wrestle Kingdom. So, if uh, if if you're going to tune in for anything, tune in to watch one of the greatest wrestlers to ever stuff a pair of boots on. Do it for the last time because it's it's. It's not every day that Vince McMahon will call another promotion and say, "Hey, can I borrow a wrestler for one night?" Because he doesn't—he never does that. He likes yeah. using his own. Time. But he respects Jushin Thunder Liger so much that like he asked New Japan to borrow Liger for one night to have an NXT match against—I uh, can't remember like Tyler. Uh, Tyler, what I can't quite remember his name from from like two, four or five years ago. Right. And New Japan, New Japan obliged. That's how. That's how much the wrestling community respects Juice and Thunder Liger. So it will be his last ever match. It should I can't imagine there will be a dry eye in the in the in the arena. Uh, he had that awesome story run with Suzuki. Uh, two two solid two veterans of the wrestling game. So there's a lot going on at New and in, in Wrestle Kingdom uh fourteen. And it could very well be the best we've ever seen. I I think it could be the best no matter what. But if everything goes according to my plan that I want to happen, <laughs> we, we could see some chaos on January 5th. I'm excited, um, especially Thunder Liger. I mean, that guy's been wrestling for like 30 years now, so that'll be a great send-off for him. Uh, I would just caution you, as you know, these guys, uh, the bookers in Japan, they like the swerve. They had the titles all changed hands one year, so we don't know what to expect, but I think that's what just makes it fun. Uh, but we'll be watching. We'll have to do a recap of afterwards when it happens. But uh, I'm excited to say the least as well. Jose Young, you can catch him on MMAfighting.com. Appreciate you coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And uh, here's to a new decade of uh, MMA fights, uh, UFC cards, and us uh, chatting about them before and after. Absolutely, man. It's always fun to be on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, huge thanks to both guests, Jose Youngs and Joe Crisali, for coming on today's show. And a big thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It pops right up. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for all the news and notes and updates about the podcast. At least one more show coming up in the next week. Got to talk more NFL as we got two weeks left in the season and some college football bowl previews as well. The playoff is, uh, is coming up. We're within, I think, single-digit days of the college football semifinal playoff game. So going to have to break that, that down as well. Baseball hot stove heating up. Cole is a Yankee. No surprise there. Rendon introduced by the Angels, too. 
some big notes. You know, the Dodgers are lurking. You know, the Indians, my Indians are selling off a lot of players. Kluber now a Rangers, so you hate to see that. But check out all the news and notes and in, uh, in all your favorite sports on this podcast, The Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, keep enjoying sports. <laughs>